0: great nick so
1: oh wonderful okay uh we're here with uh bethany jones um uh is it bethany
0: bethany okay
1: wonderful um dedication time so guess get the dedicated what would you like to dedicate this episode
0: i'm dedicating this episode to my high school film studies teacher mr eric zucola because he was the one that really got me started and introduced me to my favorite movie ever metropolis by fritz lang
1: oh that is a wonderful movie (laughs) I such a cool story too Yes, and then the environment, actually a character in the movie. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I love it. Metropolis. Yes, go watch it. All right, we're back with uh, Bethany Jones. We just mentioned Metropolis, and we got to get started recording because we're already talking about it. <laughs> um, and you said that's the spark. That was a little kernel for you to yes. get into film. Yeah. And I would like to just in- invest in because did you see any silent movies before that? How did it, you know, was what it kind of, of was like a shock to you that silent movies can be like that?
0: Um, I don't think it was that. I think it's just that I personally have a real flair for emotional drama anyways. It's
1: heavily emotional. Yeah,
0: it's heavily emotional. Looking at the acting style that was clearly these are actors that come from theater and are used to the overacting, the grand gestures, the clutching of the chest when their heart hurts. You know, little things like that. That just kind of spoke to me. Because you have to make sure
1: the people in row Z can see what you're doing, right?
0: Yeah, so I think it really played on that a lot. And it's all soundstage work. So, you know, they were in a completely controlled environment the whole time, so I feel like, you know, it probably felt very theater-like in a lot of ways.
1: When I did my paper on it, it was always mentioned that the account of time is always present. Yeah. Especially when you work in a time and everything is just it's slightly annoying, symmetrical film.
0: Yeah, it is very measured and symmetrical. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or some would say comforting and predictable in that way, too.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's such a good. Do you do you find yourself like every three months watching it or are you like.
0: Oh, it's a great question. Um, I don't know how often I watch it. I own it. Okay. I think it just depends. I, I actually really, really love the score as well and so i was able to find the score on youtube yeah. so sometimes i just work to the score so
1: i uh, actually applaud because a lot of people discredit silent movies as just well mm. it's the start at the infancy and there's nothing really i would see or particularly learn from it but i think right. you learn a great deal from what they had a yeah
0: to you really can i mean i know um I'm certainly not a connoisseur of science films at all. I've probably seen a handful at best, but I do definitely respect them. I don't think they're any better than, or any worse than talkies when right. they came out, you know, in what was that, the 30s, 40s, something like that. They started, like, in their 30s, yeah. yeah. And so
1: what's a tragedy is Metro Films, when they merged with uh, Sam Goldwyn, mm-hmm. they make MGM, so Metro Films, they merged, they, com- they burned all their films. Yeah. They burned, like... Ten years of films, of, of silent films, and they just like, well, nobody cares about it. And they burned them all up because we're joined. It's like, oh. It's
0: so tragic. And also, I don't know that we've actually have found or located a full copy, a full reel of Metropolis. Because the copies that I'd seen, at least, were all pieced together, found from, you know, different um, sellers and, you know, theaters and cinemas in Brazil. And they're all, like, finding this stuff. I don't know. Maybe you do. I've, I don't think we have a complete set.
1: If I think we do a simple Google search, somebody has found, like, in you mentioned in Brazil, mm-hmm. copies that related to, like, what's been cut and what's been mm-hmm. edited. Because if, I think the full... On an interactive movie, would be four hours long.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Which I wouldn't be upset about, to be honest. With no, <laughs> right?
1: Because there's a lot of stuff that is in that movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, it's lovely. And I know that George Lucas actually took a lot of um, yeah pointers from that. Yeah, uh, like C three PO totally like there's so many similarities between Looks c-3po like and woman. yeah the mechanical yeah. woman and even some of the like establishing shots with um the city and the environment um of metropolis you yeah. know you can kind of mix that to a lot of the environments in star wars cities so it's a lot of fun
1: george is kind of a mixture of fritz lang and akira kurosawa where mm. kurosawa is like get your action out first yes then we'll settle down and then get your story. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and then establish everything. And then mm-hmm. Fritz Lang's like, let's see the scope of this and realize yes. that in this whole variety of city, there's a minuscule great story that yes. is a metaphor to what's going on. Which
0: out. is why I mean, it's so much. The film itself is so focused on, you know, the little person and understanding, like, hey, like you might be from that upper echelon, but here's the people that are actually keeping you in business, and they're not doing very well. You know, so it's, it, it's amazingly timely, actually. <laughs> or maybe scary that this was a film that came out in the 20s and is still relevant 100 years later. You know, that's another thing to consider
1: as well, I suppose. So you did take film class, so you kind of still consider yourself kind of a student of films.
0: I think if anyone wants to be a filmmaker and considers that they're not yeah. a student of film, then they're probably not supposed to be a filmmaker. I know right. that's a strong statement, but if you, th- just like with anything, if you think that you've fully learned everything that there is to offer, you haven't. <laughs> so yes, yeah. I would always, I think, you know, if I go on to win Oscars and all this stuff, which would be lovely, um, I, I would still consider myself a student of film because there's always people that are creating new content. That's the beauty of art in general. There's always yeah. something new.
1: Yeah. yeah. I would always venture to, because I watch a lot of movies. Yeah. And I still, people, you still watch a lot of movies. And I go, there is so much I have yet to see. (laughs) Yes. I'm still looking forward. I know, obviously, have a bunch of, I constantly see movies all the time. Mm. But there's always that notion that I still haven't seen all that is offered.
0: Yeah. And I think in America, too... um, we're quite insular with the movies that we watch but there's a whole other world of filmmakers that we just <laughs> do not tap into i mean bollywood the rate that they shoot out films is boom, insane boom, boom. Yeah. you know so and even having you know parasite winning all of those awards at the oscars this year really has i hope opened up people to more international film and i put that on myself too because i hardly ever watch international film no i was but just on
1: a film set and mentioning how actually, South Korean movies can be funny. Oh, And yeah. actually, I think the, a lot of comedy is better over mm-hmm. from there than mm-hmm. here in America. It's a very different and, style. And it's like South Korean. Yes, they mm-hmm. could be – it's hard. Everybody thinks a foreign film is going to be like a depressing, drab mm-hmm. movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> but I go no, They got not a lot of funny stuff. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. So it's,
1: it's, a, it's a misnomer to think that a foreign film has certain like, – it's an art cinema. Thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, very much so. And, I mean, um, Jubang Ho is very – He's a very funny guy. As a as a person it seems, you know. And, you know, watching um Snowpiercer that he directed with Chris Evans for example. Yeah. Huge. I know that was actually a graphic novel, I believe. Um, it was. Right. Yeah, and now they have the series which I haven't watched on TNT, I think maybe. Um with David Diggs, but they uh, yeah, he has a real interesting sense of humor and that's always present in his work the very few things of his that i've seen it's always there it's very like childlike in like this presence of this very serious situation but then something ridiculous happens and you're like oh there's the director thank you you
1: explained parasite much more better than i can do
0: (laughs) the one time i watched it but i'm glad i'm glad that i could help you out with that (laughs)
1: anytime (laughs) but yeah it's um and i like to 'Cause he works he always a little bit of funny. Oh yeah. Then it, all of a sudden it turns like, Oh my god, that's horrific.
0: Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. you know,
1: Arthur Penn did with Bonnie and Clyde, which shocked oh, yeah. people with the, you know, it could be funny and then all of a sudden you yeah. have somebody get a shotgun to the face and you're like, Whoa, yeah. So. Well,
0: I know that um I, I believe I read this quote somewhere. I can't I can't take credit credit for this quote, but um I think I read somewhere that someone said like comedy is very serious business where it's like yeah. It is. <laughs> like you have to be in order to do good comedy, you have to be a good dramatic actor, I think. Yeah, um, I think it's really important. I think his work is a perfect example of that. But honestly, I think all we need to know about him is that when he got his two Oscars and he did the photo call, he had them kiss. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's all you need to know <laughs> about him, you know, So.
1: I had this wonderful conversation with my friend Lucas Munson. He's a Mm -hmm. public writer, and we're different schools of thoughts, but I've always trained that no matter what – film or what genre, there's mm-hmm. a little bit of comedy in all Yeah, it, it, it just sprinkle it. And it has then, to be. And it has to be. And mm-hmm. he's almost like, well, that's not necessarily true. And he's also right about that. Mm-hmm. But people, you know, you mentioned all the movies, that, you know, Casablanca has funny stuff in it. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, Empire Strikes Back is a funny movie. It is, It yeah. is a hilarious movie. You need it. Yeah.
0: You need it, I think. Um, I don't think the audience, you know, even for people in real life, I feel like we can be going through really tough situations and still find the humor in things. Yeah. And I think that's represented in film as well, um, even if it's you know like a quiet irony, you know, like
1: yeah, and which is yeah. tough to do dramatic irony when mm-hmm. the audience sees something and
0: yeah, I mean even going back to Arlington Road, um, which I just watched recently. Yeah. Um, without giving any spoilers, although it did come out in 1999. So um, they've had over 20 years. <laughs> they've had 20 years. <laughs> um, the kind of extremist group utilizes these white vans. Um, the white vans are called, has the company name Liberty on the vans. And it's just so funny. It, like to me, I, I mentioned it a few times with the people I was watching it with. I was like, it's so funny that they're like, bombing people (laughs) but on the side of the vans it says liberty you know it's like that kind of like writing device that just is is funny even though the film is completely about paranoia and nothing about it is really funny and then you have that and it's like oh (laughs) okay there's the humor in the situation so
1: one of my favorite comedies is this number one is dr stranger love which plays Mm -hmm. on that is very serious stuff and a lot of people can die but you have to laugh at the Ridiculousness yes. of everybody in charge.
0: Oh, yeah. You have to. I mean, it's like at this yeah. point, yeah, what are you going to do?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Like, this is awful, yeah. and here we are.
1: And so. which I think, you know, transferring because that's based on a serious, mm-hmm. dramatic mm-hmm. book, and then you turn it into, let's. Let's make it the satire yes. and show how ridiculous this can be. Yeah, so it's very and powerful I medium. I adore how funny that movie is.
0: <laughs> I need a rewatch, definitely. <laughs> but it is one that comes up a lot. Actually, um, my friend George Reese, who is the director and writer for Utopia Planitia, which is a locally produced web series um, that I've been ADing on, um, he took a lot of cues from Dr. Strangelove and – you know, kind of turned it in his own genius way of doing things. So
1: I would venture to say this is my little point of view it is mm. booked by mess, misogyny. Yeah. <laughs> because in the beginning, you have this very metaphor of, a plane being refilled and it's Mm. almost like a sexual metaphor yeah definitely. and then at the end all talking about well we need to reproduce and it's all men are going to still be in charge
0: yes oh shocker yeah (laughs) great and as soon as you know what it's like to carry a baby then you can start talking to me (laughs) right it's something
1: i don't think people get initially but it's a whole subplot of misogyny of it is men dominating anything and then they just Send all everything. They'll go to hell.
0: Yeah, it's like okay, thanks for that. <laughs> and the one <laughs>
1: woman in the movie, she has very much not a pr- very, sick, you know, she's not really presented very well. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that was intentional to show that. I
0: think so too. When yeah. there's
1: no me- when there's no woman in a meeting, this is going to be.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think we're still learning that lesson today. Clearly. Oh gosh! Yes. Um. So yeah, I think I think that film was very much ahead of its time in a lot of ways, and I think it was probably, I think people probably missed a lot of that commentary that you're bringing up now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, go watch that one, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, initially, you're, you're from the um, UK. Uh,
0: yes, I was born in England, yeah. Um, okay. I've lived all over the world because of the nature of my father's work, um, but we've lived in the U.S. since 2001 or 2002, so. Okay,
1: Have you been able to go back to UK since you've been
0: here? I have. Yeah, I was there last year Um, in September. I spent about a month. um, I'm actually moving back in February, so yeah. Um, So I have been back recently. Yes. There Mm -hmm. has
1: to be a massive amount of paperwork to get moving back there. I mean, I'm a
0: citizen still, so I don't have to worry about
1: it. (laughs) it. I'm lucky. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If I was trying to go in with my American citizenship, it would be a very different conversation. But
1: yeah. With going to UK, does things a little bit changed? you still kind of go back home it's almost like riding a bike when you go back there? And it's all or it's a little uh, it's more defi- different.
0: It's definitely not like riding a bike um, because for most of my childhood, well, you know, kind of my preteens through to now, I turned thirty in November. Okay. Um, very much American. Um, I'm I would say that I'm probably more American. American than I am English yeah. but because both my parents are still quite British I have like this weird kind of in-between gray area I the funny thing is is that I feel a lot more at home in England in the environment uh, even though I don't necessarily always know the correct etiquette or there might be little things that I just are commonplace yeah. uh, that I'm not aware of but I'm a pretty quick learner so I'm not too worried about <laughs> it <laughs> yeah
1: What what's um, one thing that you kind of miss over at britain that you don't have over here
0: hmm i think um i mean the food everyone always laughs because they say that they food. <laughs> everyone's gonna give me you know crud about the the food being plain and whatever but it's very it's very much comfort food and um yeah. it, very much and it's very reliable it's very hobbit like well you mentioned that before right?
1: <laughs> american food is very much false advertising like you yeah. want chips and fries and then half your plate is all fries like, yes
0: tell me yeah i know i know and it's just it's just different um you know, I think the food just tastes better. And I think that's just because of how they process their food versus how the US processes their food. You know, produce, you know, they have, I believe, stricter rules um, as far as, you know, we can't pump these vegetables with steroids, for example, or these chickens with steroids. So everything looks a little bit smaller, but it also like tastes better. And little things like the carrots are sweeter and the the egg yolks are more orangey than yellow. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting.
1: well, you're going to have to be my guide when I go over there. No problem. That's yeah, right. just
0: let me know when you're coming over.
1: Um, my, I'll <laughs> probably bring my wife, but yeah. she, she'll probably stay in the hotel room and just watch yeah. British television.
0: <laughs> well, it is, you know, I'm biased, but I do feel that British TV writing and acting is superior to the American.
1: It's I join your club wholeheartedly. Yeah, yes, great, we, good. We, Glad always... we don't
0: have to fight on our first podcast no. the other night. No, yeah,
1: uh, <laughs> the commercials are far better.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: The TV programming is far better. I mm-hmm. like how British... Even their um, shows like QI and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or, which are comedy shows, yeah. but you get education. Yes, as, yes. Where here in America is this, well, we're the screwball and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting what is more marketed in the U.S. versus the U.K. It's interesting. It's just a whole cultural, I don't know, observation of sorts, I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've been watching Graham Norton for forever. So.
0: Yeah. Uh, He's great. (laughs) I love his stuff because he always has celebrities on and he always has he's always this little chuckly dude and he's just so happy to have everyone there. I mean, he's been running for years. I I don't know, know, maybe 20 years almost. Maybe I think
1: it's been like 20. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I catch his clips on um, on Facebook all the time because, you know, American celebrities are on the show all the time. So it's not just like British celebrities, you know, so it's very international in that way.
1: And he does it perfectly. And I think like American late night shows. The host has to be the dominant paper and the Mm -hmm. guest's side. And Grant Norton is the opposite. He lets the guests shine.
0: Very much so. And he's
1: on the side, which i always liked that school of thought better. Let the guests have the show.
0: Yeah. And And also he has multiple guests on at the same time. It's not just like, Thanks so much for being here, okay, next we're gonna have this dude on. You know, it's like, no, let's have the whole couch filled and you guys can all work together and just, you know, maybe you've never met before, you know. Like it's great. It's it's an awesome thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What other show would you have E McKellen quizzing everybody about friends? (laughs) I I know. It's so
0: funny. (laughs) Ian McKellen is definitely someone that I would like in my life on a regular basis I mean he runs pubs and he has like trivia nights at his pubs and Mm -hmm. things like that and it's just like oh my gosh yes let's be friends sir (laughs) sir.
1: (laughs) I think it was um I just watched recently there was a movie The Keep um, on on a, a YouTube channel okay The Keep is from the 1984 it's a horror movie, but okay. he's supposed to, Ian McKellen's in it, supposed oh, to play he? an older okay. man, Great. and he's That's in makeup good. because he's in his 50s, and okay. he's supposed to look 70s, it's mm. like, <laughs> I think he looks now what he's supposed to be in the movie to Keep in 1984.
0: It's like, well, it's, you know, 20 years, I guess it's time for a remake at this point, well, the way the studios are going. <laughs>
1: So eventually um, with the starting of Metropolis and now mm. you went to films, did you go to academic for filming?
0: Uh, no, I didn't actually. I did do film studies classes in college. Um, and again, so you got a
1: proper education. I
0: think. Yeah. If I'd finished, I guess you could say <laughs> that it was proper. I never finished my degree. Um, but yes, I did a couple of classes and. Um, being a writer, I think was really, Mr. Zucola, who was the teacher that I'm dedicating this to from high school, he was a journalist, um, maybe still is, he's still alive. Um, and so he had a very like journalistic approach to writing as well. And then he kind of pulled that into film and the analysis of film and not just like the writing aspects, but that was what really stuck with me talking about a two act or a three act or even a four act structure. Um, you know talking about quads and marketing you know this is a three quad film this is a four quad film you know things like that um and that was something that was really interesting and he brought up a lot of things that I just never thought about in film but considering it was a high school class it was incredibly like detailed and
1: I would imagine yes
0: yeah I mean most people I think took it because it was technically an english credit and you got to watch movies all day but then they're like oh now we have to write papers on right, like to do research <laughs> it's like you know like i have to build um you know, different scripts and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, you know, shot lists and look at all this. So it was very good. Yeah, it it awakened a lot of things in me that I I didn't realize. And then I was also just raised with a father who loves film and always had films on and was, you know, so my father is also a writer. So, you know, I was kind of privileged to be surrounded by that already, that kind of way of thinking without really realizing it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you do outlines? (sighs) Sometimes. (laughs)
0: <sighs> sometimes. <laughs> it depends. I always ask, right?
1: Because <laughs> I'm guilty, too. Oh, you know, sometimes. I don't, I like, what a waste. Yeah, but it's, not, it's not really a waste of time, it's right? It's
0: not. But, like, and maybe you get this with, you know, the stuff that you write. But, you know, sometimes I just have all these ideas for scenes. And so what I've done in the past is take, like, post-it notes and write little right. basics or little lines from the scenes. And then I'll stick them on the wall. And then I'll play around with the order of things. No, Um, I heard that activity works, mm -hmm, it's very- It does, it does, and I think a lot of writers' rooms utilize that idea too, because they'll have fully written scenes, and then they're like, okay, well, we could put this in another spot. Um, So if I, okay, the truth of it is, if I want to get it done, I'm going to write an outline. Um, Like I've done NaNoWriMo a few times, and basically, for those that aren't familiar, you have 30 days to write 50,000 words um and you can do a novel you can do a screenplay you can do whatever you want wow
1: all right so that is heavy
0: yeah it is and it depends on what you write but you know I've done that um I finished it once and yeah I I absolutely had to have an outline for that there just wasn't and they don't care if it's perfect or finished you just have to get it done and then you can edit it later so I'm an editor that like I'll read a sentence I'm like No, that doesn't sound right. So I'll go back and do it. So it takes me longer. um, But then it tends to feel more complete, more finished versus doing like complete um, stream of consciousness and then going back. So a little bit of both, I suppose, to answer your original question. Yeah.
1: Do you already have like an ending in mind or you work towards it, do you think?
0: Uh, Quite often I do have an ending in mind.
1: Well, that's good. All Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Usually sometimes that changes. Um, but I usually have like a beginning and an end and then there's just like these random scenes kind of sprinkled in the middle And I kind of try and figure out how to put it together from there
1: I think a lot of people and in, I think we're not alone. Second yeah. act is second act is tough. <sighs> Yeah, second because act then is really is, tough. What do you just throw a car chase in there. What do you just? Yeah Intimate moments or what are you gonna do?
0: Yeah, and I mean it's kind of like <sighs> Yeah, that second act is tough. Load because,
1: it with exposition.
0: Yeah, well, and you're like, okay, like people are expecting the second act at the bottom to be kind of tough on the main character. So should I just totally mess with them and like, not have it be an issue at all? You know, so it's you like know. there's always that temptation to kind of pull the rug out from under people's feet. But um, yeah, that's always like, yeah, a s- surprise. Yeah, so it just depends. It depends on the piece. So yeah. I don't actually often think too much like this is going to be a three-act structure. Usually I'll write it, and then if things need to be chopped, then I will chop it and fit it more into um, that kind of formatting.
1: Uh, do you do storyboards with your movies? Or that's, mm. not, a, that's not an option sometimes, especially when you're working on a tight budget or something?
0: Yeah, I mean, I... I am not a DP uh, and I am not someone that claims to be a DP (laughs) so I oftentimes will have an idea of a shot that I like that I would like to have incorporated but at the end of the day especially because you know I'm very much on that local level you know the DP is the director Mm -hmm. of photography Mm -hmm. so let's respect that director (laughs) and let's work together um, and see and see what they kind of come up with, um, and so I tend to like the times that I've had the pleasure of working with different DPs. I do want to respect them and lean on their expertise because they are thinking in terms of storyboards and shot lists and things like that, and not so much for myself.
1: So good. I, I think you and I are in the same camp. Mm. It's a little more more of a micromanaging that I think is yes. just this unnecessary. You're an adult. Yep. I hired you to do yep. your job. You can do your job. Mm-hmm. And I'm right. here. You're, this is your project. What do I think yeah. of this? Well, you yeah. like it, then let's go for it. And I'm not
0: yeah. someone, um, you know, I will fight for a shot if I really, 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 really want it. Really, really, really please. Really. Um, but I'm also, I really don't think you can be a filmmaker and not be okay with taking rejection. So if, if my DP was like, no, we can't do this shot or... Or the AD even where the ads like, yeah, so, you know, we have like two minutes left. (laughs) (laughs) You know, those poor ADs, man. God bless them.
1: You have two minutes to get the scene done.
0: (laughs) Right. You know, so that just happens. And sometimes you just have to be okay with just letting that go.
1: And I think that's very important, especially people listening to making movies. You have to just let it go.
0: Understand that it's a collaborative art. Yeah. And if you don't lean on the people in your crew's expertise, then you are ultimately disrespecting them. And what is the point of having them on your crew if you're not going to lean on where they come from, I is my personal feeling. So,
1: <laughs> All right. We're going to take a little break. Um, up next is my little promo uh, from my friend Ryan Terry. He's going to have a podcast coming up. Uh, it's a sitcom podcast. My mm, uh, friend Ryan Terry called Four's a Crowd. So <laughs> we'll take a little break and back more with Bethany. Awesome. Get ready for the new sitcom, Forza a Crown. Everything was coming up roses for Bradley and Cameron until. I could just lie here with you forever. I think we
0: should see other people. And as if
1: that wasn't tragic enough. The rent is going up higher than annual passes at Disney World. But they have a
0: plan. Turning this place into a brothel.
1: To get a roommate. Enter Allison and Dylan. But your endless sexual escapades. Whole new men into home office. Join these 30-somethings as they face the challenges of balancing careers and dating after 29. Coming soon to a popcatcher near you. One, two, three, four, Hey, we're back with Bethany, and um, we're talking about process, of course, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) interruptions a little bit. Yes. They're inedible, but you know they're in our coming. but all of a sudden, it's... Yes, they uh, show
0: up all of a sudden. Life happens. Hey, you got
1: to go to the family meeting. That's right. family outing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, especially because most of us that are creative, you know, there are very few creatives that are privileged enough to do their hobby full time um, and get paid for it. Yeah. So, you know, most of us have to deal with those interruptions or you hear a lot of stories of people that are like, yep, I am working full time. And, yep, I am staying up until 3 a.m. to do this because I'm going to put three hours a day into this novel or into right. whatever. Um, you make it work. But, yes, it is not without sacrifice or interruption.
1: <laughs> That's one that I love, Phantom Thread. Mm. I didn't when I went to see it initially didn't gravitate to mm-hmm. me. But after yeah. a second viewing, the third viewing, I was mighty impressed with that yes. Thread, and I put yes. it as one of my top ten films of the last decade. That was a good choice. And <laughs> um, Maybe because it was a little too much of a mirror of me working on process, because even though he's a dressmaker, <laughs> yes. he's creative, and he's Very always much. constantly working and working, Yes. and to the point that he needs an interruption that makes yeah. him politically sick to stop. I
0: know. And that sometimes Which I happens, grasp though. The, I didn't grasp yeah. at the
1: time. I thought it was like a cheap writing like mm, oh but i understand that, that yeah that i thought it was a little more of a cheap but i now i see it as unnecessary for him and yeah escal- because he would escalate himself
0: yeah it's the development of the character and just kind of being like listen um if you don't stop yourself something else will you know and i think sometimes as creatives in general we just have such a drive and we will literally if we could drop everything to do what our passion is um, and people do make themselves literally sick from sleep deprivation or whatever yeah. it is, because, you know, that's actually what's giving them life. That's what's giving them energy to feel not depressed all day or whatever it is at yeah. their regular corporate jobs. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of I, a friend of mine posted something. She's an actress out in New York. Very, very talented. And obviously with the pandemic and everything, I mean, Broadway shut down and a lot of yeah, it's lot just non-existent it's just been dropped and you know New York is a tough enough city as it is to get a job as an actor and actress and uh,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah
0: sure. <laughs> and um, you know she put up this post that was like I'm ready for people uh, to not see the arts as a hobby and it was very um, it was very poignant of a statement even though it was just a meme and it was something that I think Really needs to be considered because, especially when that first lockdown happened and we have curfews and quarantine and all that stuff, what are you doing? You're watching TV, you're reading books, you're listening to music. You're, you're, We're creatives. We give yeah. you that. We created that for you. You know, this would yeah. not happen without the aid of creatives. Um, so I think it's, a, I really hope there's a shift in that personally because I think it would be great to. It seems like unless you've made it, somehow you miraculously make it, and then your artistic career is legitimate because you've quote-unquote made it. (laughs) You know, where there's so many talented actors that get left in the casting room because they just didn't fit the part. But people see that as like a downplay of their skills. They're like, well, I didn't get the part, so I must not be talented. That could not be further from the truth. Um, You just weren't the right fit. So it's very interesting kind of seeing it's like, well— If you don't pay your actors or you don't consider your creatives to be a huge value to culture, then you're going to be bored very, very quickly (laughs) because eventually this content will run out. And, you know, so, yeah, that's kind of a little point that I like to make because I'm like, well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just sitting on Netflix all day. no It's like, (laughs) well, you think we just randomly generate these things on Netflix, (laughs) so.
1: How do you like to work with actors? Is it a mm. certain template, or it's different for everybody, or?
0: You know, um, I really, I I love the casting process. Okay. And I know some people are like. <laughs> oh, it it is hard because. Yeah you know you have especially if you wrote the content because you have a specific idea for this character in mind and sometimes people that you reach out to just aren't interested in the part or they you know maybe they don't quite get it or you just there's it's always such a Um, toss-up but I love working with actors I have a huge respect for them Um, I think what they do is invaluable I think sometimes you know we get they can be a little bit too diva-esque that's a problem um but you know it's uh I love kind of sitting down with me and I try to just be like okay what is the best way for me as your director to communicate with you are you someone that is insanely sensitive and if I say no I didn't like that it's gonna totally throw you off on set because yeah. that's not what I want um Is it, you know, are you someone that's like, yeah, whatever, like, it's the character, it's not me. Like, just tell me if you hate it and I'll do something else, you know? Right. Um, Some actors really need, like, three or four takes to fully get comfortable with the scene, even if we've rehearsed. That's a big thing, too. If you can rehearse with your actors beforehand, please do take the time to act out the scenes before you're even on set because that is so invaluable for the actors otherwise you're literally just like okay great you've learned the lines and now we're going to throw you together oh you've worked together before right oh you haven't oh that's a bummer well anyways you two are in love uh you know it's just like (laughs) it's such a thing and I think actors are tossed around a lot because they're but you have to understand that they set the scene in a lot of ways like they you can have amazing writing but if you have an actor that doesn't get it or a bad actor, it could ruin your whole film. Yeah. Um, I, know so. I, mean,
1: I don't want to mention the movie because I don't like to be harsh criticism to <laughs> actors. But there was a, a movie that I saw where the writing and everything mm. was wonderful. But mm-hmm. it, did, it divorced me from how it was presented. Mm, yeah. But I've seen the opposite where mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of Horrible scripts. Yes, and the actors somehow the turn it around. Yes.
0: Uh, so this is a funny thing. So my sister and I recently rewatched the Twilight movies, and um, on a dare. <laughs> I loved them in high school. I was such a Twilight and I did loved them. Did you read them. the books too? I did. Okay. I did read the books. um The last two, I think, came out. Uh, my first year of college, I think, or towards the very end of my high school time.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Um, but you just,
1: okay, you rewatched them. Just because. I
0: rewatched them because she rewatched them. She's like Beth, you have to go rewatch these. Like they're so great. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to watch these. Even the actors in the commentary that you can watch, you know, while you're watching the film, especially our Pat's Robin Pattinson, just t- Robert Pattinson, just totally, just. <laughs> He's totally making fun of this film the whole time. Uh, anyways, I rewatched the first one, and it was directed by Katherine Hardwick, and I was like, wow, actually, these actors did an amazing job. I mean, she's she's a great director for action and, you know, things like that, but the script, you know, Melissa Rosenberg, um, there was just something that wasn't quite right, but you know, Robert Pattinson, as we're seeing now with so many of the choices that he's making with scripts, which are yeah. amazing, like they killed those performances. It was like I was watching it going, actually, this is strangely good. And I know I'm going to get crap from that from people, <laughs> but I don't care. I rewatched I it. and It was so good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. So that's you another never method
1: know. That, like, well, I critiqued um, Zero Dark Thirty. Mm, yeah. Which is a phenomenal film. Yeah. But I think. And then as I watched it again, I said, the gaffing mm. and lighting <laughs> oh, was yeah. immaculate. Yes. And it's kind of superseded even the cinematography. Yeah. It was so gorgeously gaffed. Mm. And I'm sure the DP was like, well, you just, I, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> well,
0: thanks for creating my shop for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I and mean, if you look back at it, it mm. is phenomenally gaffed because yeah. they do natural lighting, they do stage, and it's like prisms yes. and everything. And it's wonderful, and then they go to dark at the third, mm-hmm. you know, where they have to do, like, black and yes. lighting. And I think this oh, is what a phenomenal yeah. work.
0: It's quite a challenge. And it almost
1: supersedes to other departments, which kind of happens when you do a collaboration. Some you have to. go beyond, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I mean, anyone that thinks that they can do a film without the different departments is crazy. I yeah. mean, you know, you need... There's a reason that all of those different departments exist. You know, sometimes you can't afford to. That's different, yeah. you know. Um, but you you do. I mean, you could have an amazing cinematographer, but if you don't have good G&E, it might not look as good, you yeah. know, because you need the lighting. You need all that stuff. And, um, yeah, I actually really love... One of my favorite films is Prisoners. Um, and I think a lot of people slept on it, but it's... Uh, Denis Villeneuve directed Roger Deakins was the DP stars uh Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal Viola Davis uh, Terrence Howard um Paul Dano
1: is this the large ensemble cast one yeah yes. yeah
0: it's so good and they use almost exclusively natural light in it and it's so good or and all of his you know in the night shots and stuff um there's a flashlight that's used and it's so intentional all of the lighting that is used by the characters is so intentional
1: Right.
0: yeah and it's just I mean Roger Deakins is a legend so (laughs) you know you wouldn't expect anything less but he helps with that but that's not you know all him Um, and
1: he doesn't work he he especially demands to work with people who know what they're doing
0: yeah as he should yeah and his I think he's done stuff with Villeneuve before I think yeah. Blade. Blade. He has. Well, he has certain. Maybe. I think yeah. I mean, he. Yeah. I'd like, have to look it like, up.
1: Him and Sam Mendes have done movies yeah, together. Yeah. So yeah, there's yeah, yeah. certain, like, okay, I know what you're demanding, but I think yeah. Sam Mendes actually challenges him harder. Mm, which he appreciates
0: yes, I'm but. sure. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the board, minuses I'm with sure.
1: Prisoners was it came out when the popcorn flicks came out. And here's this non popcorn <laughs> flick. And people are like, yes. well, I just want junk food film cinema. And then yes. that kind of hurt a little it's bit. It's a
0: very heavy film.
1: It's a very heavy film. And I think it came out a little too early. If it was coming out a little more. Uh, at the end of the year where yes. we kind of get the serious content. Yes. Um, I want yeah. to talk to marketing about that.
0: Yeah, I know. And seriously. I think what happened <laughs> is. It came out in
1: like what, well, August. I'm still in the. Yeah.
0: They're still. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I didn't see it when it came out in theaters, um, but I do remember looking at the box office numbers and being like, why? And then I realized the timing of it, of the release. Right. Um, and it's Prisoners. Prisoners
1: just want to make sure my audience gets
0: yes up. prisoners yep mm-hmm yeah Jake Gyllenhaal I I feel like he got past like the 30 year old mark and then he just cannot go wrong with the scripts that he's choosing um in my opinion I just think he's continually chosen good scripts good writing and I know he he's the pro he plays the protagonist in in prisoners and Yeah, I remember listening to an interview of him and he was basically talking. I think the interviewer asked him, like, what what draws you to certain scripts? Yeah. What draws you to do a film that maybe isn't as, you know, going to be as high grossing in theaters or whatever, you know. And I remember very specifically, he said, I look for the truth in the story. And if there's a truth in that story that I connect with, then I'm interested in the script.
1: Yeah, it was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. I, th- I think, the right, and then uh, William Faulkner talked about everything has to have a universal truth or mm-hmm. you're just making silly. silly
0: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so, a good quote.
1: Um, is this something that you're always aware of when you do creative stuff? Is there like a little bit, you search for it, or is this just? You think it's just going to naturally come out? That you don't have to worry about yeah,
0: that. Yeah, you know, I wish I could say that I was that philosophical. I really don't <laughs> think I am. I think I just uh, emotionally connect to something or right, a uh-huh. situation, and I think if there's, so, I mean, it does have to be relatable in order in order for it to fly. I think with people, um, but if you can find something, then yeah, and it, I guess if you if you draw you know a similarity between that and if you want to define that as a truth which i suppose you could yeah um then yeah definitely but i don't i don't go out and search for the truth in a story you know i search for a relatability or maybe a uniqueness to a situation to my eyes that might be perfectly commonplace for other people
1: yeah. i'm gonna ask you a question i don't know how you know especially for writers here yeah, the yeah. in been writers but um, I love the, the, like, the little question of how do you know when a scene is ending? <laughs> how do you know to write the end of a scene?
0: So um, my process, I don't know if other people do this. Um, for me, very much as I'm writing a scene, I'm already imagining um, directing the actors in the scene. And so oftentimes I've been told by roommates, they'll like walk past my room and they hear me talking to no one, or my voice will go from high to low because I'm playing these different characters <laughs> to myself. I'm
1: guilty. I do it <laughs> outside. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, you're brave enough to do it outside, Nick. So you're one level up for me. <laughs> well, but... I didn't
1: know anybody's going to know at midnight. I'm being out there. <laughs> oh,
0: fair, <laughs> fair. <laughs> well played. <laughs> um, but I think usually when, the conver- when it feels like whatever the conversation or the situation is that I'm quote like acting out when it feels to me like that is a good conclusion where I feel like there's nothing else that the characters would say that would drive the story forward anymore or prove any sort of point or whatever that's when I know the scene is done so I think it's quite an intuitive process probably for me Um, right and that's why that's why I love the people that are brave enough to read my work including my father (laughs) because (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, man, maybe the scene goes on too long, or maybe it's not well, going on long enough, you know?
1: Especially if you're interested in doing writing. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think every writer still with. Mm. When is it too much? When is it enough? Is it not enough? Yep. Um, is there certain, are going to confuse the audience potentially right. There's a lot of questions you have to answer when you're writing. Yeah. People think you're just going to go in a vacuum and write all, <laughs> But no, there's a lot of content where... There is. Am I going to confusing? to people understand that? If it's a sci-fi, yeah. then you have to have a lot of exposition to explain the world. Oh, my
0: goodness. Yes. So I have so much respect for sci-fi writers because the amount of like backstory that they have to create, even just the universes that they're building yeah. is insane. You know, um, that's another thing that I just take my hat off to George Reese for because he has built this incredible world. Um, for Utopia Planitia, and it's so cool to be on set with him and just be like, well, are, is the character doing this? And he's like, no, because of blah, blah, blah. And at this point, this happens and da, 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 da. And you're like, okay, cool. Thanks, George. You know? <laughs> so, but I think um, uh, if not necessarily in a screenplay way, but in a novel way, yeah. um, I, would, I would always rather have too much meat that I can trim versus doing something that i think is perfect and then if i have to delete it i have to delete like (laughs) half of the scene or you know it's it's always harder to add content to a scene versus being like you know what this scene is too long let's just chop these lines and we'll still get the same point across you know um and also kind of what you said about writing in a vacuum something that i constantly have to remind myself of is you know what jones like people that are reading this do not know these characters like you know these characters they right. don't know where this story is going so you have to understand that just because it makes sense to you it might not make sense to them you know so you kind of have to step outside yourself a little bit and just be like okay <laughs>
1: there's so. certain different little tropes that i, I like I guess mm-hmm. like elmer leonard uses when mm-hmm. he doesn't like doesn't really describe a character but the mm-hmm. character is able to like flick a lighter with his you know just ping a lighter Mm -hmm. which is like a talent skill which I would even explain that he's skillful but yeah then he's able to just flick a lighter open like a toothpick and then he's like okay he has a little bit of a mark like a skill or talent yeah and that's kind of like a little trope too definitely
0: well showing and not telling show don't tell I hear it all the time from my editors it's so hard you know especially with emotion you know it's like she was nervous Mm -hmm. I was like try again talk about how her stomach was squeezing tight or you know something you know and i think in a visual medium like film you know like one of the most iconic shots in fellowship of the ring for example you know um the hobbits get to Bree and they're in the prancing pony and the way that they introduce aragorn is he's sitting in the corner and he's got the pipe And, you know, the kind of embers and the warmth from the pipe just kind of lights up his eyes. Yeah. and you're just like oh okay this guy is he a villain is he you know like it automatically stokes kind of your your feelings of like what's happening here is this guy gonna be someone that's gonna hurt the hobbits is he gonna be an ally you just don't know yes and they they do kind of trick you a little bit because you know he like brings them upstairs and you're like i still don't know <laughs> you're like this is not good but you know very much he aragorn is a perfect character he does a lot of showing and not a lot of telling, so.
1: My favorite movie, and I like mm-hmm. to share, it, is the *The Maltese Falcon*, oh, and that's yeah. a very visual classic. But, but yes, when his partner gets shot and mm-hmm. how uh, Sam Spade acts at mm-hmm. the murder scene—very mm. casual. No, doesn't want to be there. Yeah. And not a lot of dialogue to him. Right. And he's not really, he's not really emotional. He's not right. crying, but he's not upset. But he's just sure. like, whatever. Mm-hmm. And how he does <laughs> that magnificently is the catalyst to how. explains the movie without even telling everybody it's
0: beautiful it's beautiful writing
1: it's hard to do and especially as a writer you have to trust that they can present that
0: very much so and that was one of the films that we watched in our film studies class actually was Was Maltese Falcon yeah and uh yeah yeah, absolutely definitely a great uh, definitely a great kind of anecdote and description visual description of show don't tell yeah yeah
1: yeah when you write, mm-hmm. uh, do you watch other material, or you kind of shut that off to not get bleeding into you or other stuff?
0: Mm, that's that's a great question. Um, so I remember reading Stephen King's on writing, and he was very specific about if you are writing a fantasy, don't read fantasies by other authors at the same time because it will kind of mar your
1: it your will. own it personal does, yeah. yeah.
0: And I can see what he means with that. Um, And so yes, I think in a way. However, I also feel like sometimes I know what I'm trying to say and I just cannot get the words onto the page. Then I will find things that, you know, like, oh, well, this movie kind of had some of that. So why don't I watch it and see? What that kind of instills, what kind of that's what that kind of stirs in me, yeah, and then kind of use that as inspiration, um which can be a little bit of a slippery slope. But I think anyone that's worth their salt will probably say that we're constantly stealing from other creatives. Um, well, we just from the, from the, from the beginning go.
1: of the episode we talk about George Lucas yes, using Fritz Lang and exactly. to make his own, yeah, exactly, but it's, a, it's it very much by. his own style. Oh yeah, but very much. Where you got a lot of.
0: Yeah, so I think it's kind of a mixed answer for that one, yeah. It kind of <laughs> is. I mean, you yeah. don't want to like,
1: you, you stick to your own stuff, mm-hmm. trust your own, you know, what's yeah. your vision, but mm-hmm. yes, and then this is a, re- I mean, we're in a studio surrounded by <laughs> amazing other- comic books yes. all over and the it place. It is kind of like, <laughs> for me, it is kind of like a situation where I don't, if I want to like, I'm stuck somewhere, at least seeing something mm-hmm. spark interest rather than just being in yeah. a blank wall. At least yeah. seeing some other aspect that stimulates you or yeah. go ahead and like a book and just read something, a passage or something like that. It does. And don't yeah. and
0: don't get into the trap of kidding yourself that even if it is a completely original idea from you that your thoughts weren't influenced by something that you've watched or you've read or, you know, at some point. Even if you don't even realize, you know, you might not be directly, you know, referencing it or, you know, it's just like as human beings, our psychology we are who we are today because of the things that we've experienced, you know, up to this point, good or bad. And it's the same thing when you're and that's going to affect, you know, what comes out uh, creatively, as well as, you know, the movies that you watched a million times over as a kid, even if you don't realize it, that put a stamp on you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think we should continually be inspired by our fellow creators and have been whether we <laughs> know it or not. Yeah.
1: Um, The couple of movies that you mentioned are black and white. Do you ever Mm -hmm. think about doing a film in black and white? (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) I have thought about it. It terrifies me Um, because even costuming for a black and white film is insanely difficult. It is not, you can't just be like, oh, this girl is wearing a polka dot dress and we'll play her, you know, so let's just put mm-hmm. the actress in a polka dot dress and let's have her on screen. Well, even if we're doing it in black and white, red polka dots are gonna show very differently mm-hmm. from green polka dots, you know. Um, actually, Jay Ness, uh, who is a local filmmaker, he. Yes,
1: rendered the show, Yes, 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 yes
0: yeah. he did a black and white feature um that I know he's still kind of working on um but I, he was very kind uh, a couple of years ago sat down with me when I was just kind of getting started and I met him on a shoot actually um and you know just kind of allowed me to pick his brain which was incredibly generous of him and he kind of like about about I know he's really such a jerk but um <laughs> somehow I bribed him with coffee and it worked so
1: uh <laughs> Such <Yeah>. a meanie
0: <laughs> I, yeah he's a jerk and awesome. so if i, I can
1: interrupt uh, we actually had an episode where he hosted here
0: really oh yes. i bet he was great at that
1: yeah him and uh he hosted and he talked about star wars so mm. yes yeah, very nice person. that sounds so, about right was yeah. ben
0: enke involved with that at all yeah yes <laughs> so they hosted an episode
1: it was very nice to come
0: perfect out. Yeah. yeah so yes i would make a black and white film but i would need it to be a high budget where we could do everything correctly uh, I'm one of those people where if it's it's always going to be quality over quantity for me that has actually slowed me down from creating more film because I have very generous friends that are like listen we're not doing anything come on let's just make a movie and I'm like no because It's not going to be what I want to see in the future. So, you know, I would rather be the director that after like a 50, 60 year career made 10 films. (laughs) And that was her legacy. And all of them are amazing. I'd much rather do that than have like 50 or 60 films to my name, which is a grand accomplishment. But if they're not any good, then I'm not interested. I guess it's it's
1: different schools of thought. Yes. You know, like Roger Corman. Yeah. You know we huh. could do it this way we could do it cheaper I'll take cheaper yeah. <laughs> yeah and then you have Stanley Cooper who will spend five years yeah pre-production of planning mm. a movie yeah and both of them make phenomenal movies it's absolutely and it's, it's not it's different, a style super, different style of making a film yeah yeah mm-hmm. um, and it's a wonderful thing I always like the black and white question because for filmmakers it's an additive problem solving because of mm-hmm. a lot of components to you have to find the right stock it's you know, oh gosh and, yeah and then the costuming and everything and lighting yeah it's a much more harder challenge yeah where it's complete opposite in the comic book world if you want to make something cheap you just do it in black and white not worry about <laughs> color.
0: yeah and i mean shooting a black and white yeah. film and on of, film yeah. would be so great um, if you do it on digital, uh, you know, and then you, in editing, turn everything black and white, it's just not going to look the same cause you have to light differently for black and white films. Like it's just, it's a whole thing. So if I was going to do like a black and white film, I would want to do it like they did it in the twenties, thirties, etc. I'd go yeah. all in like, almost like a method actor, but like a method director.
1: <laughs> and that's wonderful. And I like to throw the parallels cause it's, mm-hmm. it's extra work where <laughs> it used so to be. Work. And it used to be just because it was cheaper. Yeah. But now, if you want to do it now, it's extra work. Mm-hmm. You want to really serious committed to this. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. and it's yeah. it probably won't be my money. It'll probably be a studio or someone that's willing yeah. to yeah. be Even like the yeah. Studio, like why? <laughs> huh? They're like, who are you, and why should we give yeah. you sixty mil in film stock? Why
1: we do black and <laughs> white? Why we <laughs> like, Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well. Uh, uh, Orson Welles always said black mm-hmm. and white is the best because mm-hmm. it's the sub- 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 subtraction to mm. distraction.
0: Oh, very interesting. Yeah, and he was why an interesting man. He looked man. much
1: better actor than he really was because <laughs> it was all <laughs> black and white. <laughs> it's
0: like you know, I think of things like films like Citizen Kane, you know, and I that film was to me not that interesting on a story level to me personally. But the techniques that they used and the new filming you know just like different little tricks and the transitions that, well, that they did the editing
1: and, of the dialogue yes. trans- the dialogue the story keeps going yes even though the set's different
0: yes and that is why that to me that is why that wellesian creation is so phenomenal
1: i was thinking like the point where they have merry christmas and cut and a happy new year and it's all yes. like you just cut like two weeks of time yes Oh yes, Smooth it over where everybody's like, all right, now we just why
0: we're here, yeah, just by
1: dialogue. Yes,
0: and I and I mean we think about that now, like if we shot that in today's film, that quick cut would not be that strange, you know, or we'd just smooth it into the next shot. We'd put like you know. The next year over with titles or whatever, you know, like we can do that quickly now. But back yeah. then it was like, whoa, hang on a minute here. Where are we going? Like, what? Like, so yeah. Yeah. Citizen Kane. And and yeah, Orson Welles is a very interesting guy. I mean, I always think of like War of the Worlds with the actual radio show. Like yeah, and how, how they're. Started, yeah, yeah. yeah. And how the actors were so convincing that we literally had people jumping out of buildings because they thought it was a real alien attack. Yeah crazy <laughs> Cra- and, and tragic but just crazy so yeah he is a very interesting person I don't know that I would have enjoyed working with him at all because I you know I think he was a very difficult person but he certainly was a genius in, in a multitude of ways so yeah as was, these things usually go of course
1: <laughs> well yeah you are like 23 when you made that I think it yeah a or yeah that.
0: he was very young yeah
1: well I have to say th- this is it. Yeah. Thanks for coming to talk movies. Thanks for having we me. We definitely been a have pleasure. to do it some other time, and if you're oh, overseas, yeah. we could just, you know, yeah. Today's technology would we'll just absolutely. Put it well,
0: we can do you know we can do themed days or whatever, folks. That would on be some, wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just let me know ahead of time. I'm always and I always ready encourage to talk. guests
1: to like force me to see something because uh, we, yeah, we, on a previous episode we had uh, Kelly Reynolds mm. from another podcast. Yeah and uh, she wanted to talk drop dead gorgeous women, which is not in my department <laughs> and that was a force watch I was but like, it's I'll never a local and it was local but I, yeah. I i watched it and i actually enjoyed it because somebody yeah. told me i had you know it's a force mm-hmm. and some things that um a lot of people who love movies don't like to get out of their nature they always have a statement yes that, yes
0: know. very and much so
1: true to form hmm. i finally watched first wives club oh did and you it's been out since i was in high school <laughs> Did and you I like intentionally it? avoid it? Well, yes, I did. I surprisingly <laughs> did. I don't think I would as a teenager. I'd be right. like, no, I'm a boy and yeah. Death.
0: You know, but sometimes Goldie things Hollywood find you. Yeah. They find you. The scene where they're all dancing and they, you don't own me. Yes. And they're all there in the room and you're like, oh, yeah, this is fantastic. Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton. Yes, yes.
1: that of course, Bette.
0: Oh, there. yeah. Sorry, yes, yes. And Diane M- Keaton. Bette Midler, yes. And yep.
1: like, Diane Keaton's not related to Michael Keaton.
0: Right. Yeah. I always think that she is, but it's a nice idea.
1: <laughs> well, Bethany, thanks for coming on and having Thank fun you. talking movies and process. My um, pleasure. As you know, it's not over till the guest says it's over.
0: Mm-hmm. It's over. There we go.
1: It's not